Good morning, welcome to our live stream and thank you so much for logging in today. Uh, before you log off, we'd love for you to fill out your connection card, let us know who's watching there with you, any prayer requests you have, uh, and, and help us just stay in touch through this time when, when we have to, uh, have to be apart because of our government's mandate for social distancing and uh, the stay-at-home order that's currently in place. Today is April 5th, and I have five announcements. Here's number one. Please be sure to check your email for uh, an email from Chapel Rock uh, that directs you to chapelrock.org resources. That's where our house church kit is that will tell you what you need to have a successful morning having church at home. Today, it's also where our online bulletin is, and I want to encourage you to go there and check that out. Obviously, there's not a lot going on, but that's where we're posting uh, news about what happens to people in the church. So um, for when our members have someone who uh, dies, that's where our sympathy expression will be, and you'll know where to write them a card, and that would be a great thing to do. We can't gather, we can't attend a service, but you can write them a card, or you can text them and just say, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you. Here's number two. Welcome, uh, Northside Christian Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. We're glad that you're joining us. I got the name of your church right this week. Uh, so we're just grateful that you're able to, to do this and we can just be one church uh, together uh, during this time. And so just thanks for, uh, to you for logging in. Uh, here's number three. Last week, I confidently said, hey, we're going to have a drive-in service on Easter. And you probably got the message saying, no, we're not. Um, maybe you heard about the pastor in Florida that got arrested. I don't want to go to jail. Uh, but beyond that, it, the, the certain risks that would be associated with doing that just don't outweigh the uncertain rewards of doing that. And, uh, and it would really kind of push back. It was my way to push back against the darkness, but I think to a watching world, it would also seem like we we're pushing back against the government, and that's probably not smart right now. So uh, we are not going to do a drive-in service. We will only be online, however... Um, two things. First of all, we're going to do a live streamed Good Friday service this coming Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Log back on just like you did for this morning. Go to the same place, chapelrock.org slash watch, and log in and you can participate at home. Um, you are also going to get an email about how to have Holy Week at home. That'll come later this afternoon. There's a, a schedule of, of Jesus' final week. This is Palm Sunday. And so uh, we're going to, we, we want to help you step into that. That's number four. Uh, happy Palm Sunday to you. We want to give you some resources that will help you have um, Holy Week at home. So you're going to get this email. When this is all done, we'll have kind of a night of praise-like uh, experience. We're going to blow the roof off this place. But in the meantime... Uh, we have to be at home and do home church, so we want to resource you. You're going to get an email later today with a schedule of what Jesus did during Holy Week, readings for you, ways that you can observe that even while you're uh, at home this week. And fifth and finally, we're starting a new sermon series today called You Need to Hear This. And this is just a short series of messages that God put on my heart that I just feel like I need to tell you. I just, you just need to hear this. And today's message is you need to hear this when you have to hit pause. Thanks for being here. Whether you like it or not, you have had to pause, haven't you? Because you have had to pause, you need to hear this. In the Bible, every now and then, God's people 
cause so that he can do something significant with them. This is one of those times. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 7, starting about halfway through verse 73, the very end of the chapter. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all of the people came together as one in the square before the water gate, It's not a hotel. (laughs) It's one of the gates into Jerusalem. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak, about 6 a.m., until noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah. And on his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbanadada, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Peleiah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Here's what they said. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, 
in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. I think this text describes a time when the people of God paused. They, they took a break from daily life. They took a break from normal. And when they did that, they entered into two interconnected cycles that allowed them to be renewed by God. Church, we have been forced to pause. What do you do when you have to pause? When you don't have a choice? Some of you are not working right now. You've been forced to pause. Some of you are high risk and you're terrified to go out of your house. You've been forced to pause. Others have had to curtail their spending either because there wasn't anything on the shelf in the store or out of a concern that we don't know what the next several months hold. What do you do when you have to pause? Well, you need to hear this. Here's what you do. You enter into these two cycles that God has given us to give life to our spirit. That's what the big idea is today. In the first in this new sermon series called You Need to Hear This, about just the messages that God put on my heart to share with you through this time of pandemic. The, the, the big idea this morning is this. When we pause, we enter into two cycles that God has given us that are designed to give life to our spirit. Yes, this is a season of disease and death, but that does not mean that God is not at work in you. That does not mean that God is not at work to give you life, and he has given you these two cycles. He's encouraging you to take this enforced pause and enter into these cycles, and those things will give you life, church, through the power of Jesus. Going through these two cycles are how God rebuilds and renews and reforms and reshapes our souls through difficult times. The people of Ezra and Nehemiah's day had just gone through a very difficult time of having to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and it had lay empty and barren for so long and they'd been through this really rough time. And God allowed them to pause 
to enter into these two cycles that were designed to give life to their spirits. So what are they? Well, there are two. Let, let me show you on the whiteboard today what the first one looks like. The first is this cycle of revelation, which leads to understanding, which leads to obedience. It, it looks like this. So you've got, you've got revelation. And when I talk about revelation, I'm not talking about the last book in the Bible. I'm talking about the concept that God has revealed himself to us. Revelation... Which, which then leads to understanding. As, God, as you understand that God has revealed himself, it leads to understanding. That you begin to understand what God is doing in the world, you begin to understand him better. As you understand him better then, that, that leads you into a cycle of obedience. When you really get what, who God is and what he's doing, that leads you to obedience, to obey him. And then out of that obedience, as you come back to the word of God, it allows you then to have a greater understanding of, of who God is and what he's doing in the world. So revelation leads to understanding, and understanding leads to obedience, and obedience then leads you back to a greater appreciation of God revealing himself. Now, let's look at how this cycle is played out in the text, okay? Look at, at Nehemiah 8, 1. The text says that all the people have gathered together. Did you see this? They came together as one. They're all united in this. This is a unifying experience, just like all of us are having to stay at home right now. It's a unifying experience, okay? They came together as one, and look at this in verse 8. They told Ezra to bring out the law. That's their Bible, they want to hear God's revelation of himself. It says the whole group is there, all who were able to understand. So presumably, this is everyone who could understand a message, little kids on up, all right, and to the very, very elderly. And they listen, the text says, from, from dawn, from which in that part of the world is pretty much 6 a.m. about every day. It's close enough to the equator that, you know, dawn and dusk don't change much. They listen from about 6 o'clock in the morning till about noon. They listen and read scripture. I don't ever want to hear any of you complaining about long sermons ever again, okay? Um, they listen to him for a long time. And then look at verse 6. When Ezra sees them stand out of respect for God's word, he begins to read the word. We did that when I was in Bible college. and When they would read scripture in chapel, we would all stand up. And they stood out of respect for the word. And when he saw that, the text says that he broke out in praise. Literally, he blessed them for that. And then the people hear Ezra's benediction, and they give a double amen. Amen, amen, which in Hebrew means so be it. <laughs> we want to be blessed by a reading of the word of God. Listen, that's great, but it's not enough to simply hear the revelation of God. You have to understand it too. And that's what's going on in verse 7 and following. Look at this. The Levites are instructing the people in the law. And then look at verse 8. It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear. Do you see that phrase? Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Now the phrase making it clear appears only here in the Old Testament. 
Some people think that they're translating the text um, from Hebrew into Aramaic. By that point, most of God's people would have spoken Aramaic in their daily uh, language, having been in exile for 70 years. Um, Other people think that what they were trying to do was bridge the cultural gap that existed even then from you know, the culture of Moses in the wilderness in 1400 BC to the culture in a beginning to be remodeled and restored Jerusalem you know, in, in, in the uh, almost 500 um, BC. You know, there's a 900-year gap uh, between these things, and, and so they're trying to bridge, bridge the gap there. Um, wh- which one was it? Excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, personally, I think it was a bit of both. It was a bit of both. I think that they, for some, they wouldn't have even understood the language that their Bible was written in. Secondly, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a gap there. It had been a long time since the people lived like that. Here's the point. Just reading your Bible will make a positive impact in your life over time. But if you really want to become like Jesus, you've got to make sure that you're understanding what you're reading. And a good study Bible will help you do that, all right? Uh, more so than just Google. Google's great, and I'm glad to have it, but you can't just trust Google uh, because, um, you know, it won't always necessarily turn up the best results on the first page of your search. So let me recommend a few other resources to help you do that. The, the best book I've ever read on how to understand the Bible is a book by uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart um, named uh, How to Read and Study the Bible for All It's Worth. And it's a fantastic resource. Uh, Fee and Stewart is about the best book out there on this. I would highly recommend that you read it. Every guy that I disciple, I make them read this book. <laughs> I recommend it to new elders. Like, you need to know uh, uh, to read this. It's, it's that good. I think you should read it. Uh, put it in your, uh, your, your cart on Amazon, because, um, you know, what else are you going to do right now, <laughs> right? You got time. So the other uh, two things are, are uh, two books uh, put out by University Press, IVP. It's called the Bible Background Commentary. There's one for the Old Testament and one for the New Testament, and some of you have remarked before about how much you appreciate me uh, explaining the cultural differences between then and there and here and now. That's, those, re- those books are where I get a lot of those insights. Um, that's my source material for that. And they've done the homework to help translate um, from that ancient culture into our modern one, uh, from that language into ours. And they're just great resources. If you've ever been reading the Bible and thought, what in the world is going on here? You can usually look it up in one of those two books and get, get some help. Um, the final thing is just a good concordance, just a, a good exhaustive concordance. It's a listing of every single word that appears in the whole Bible and, and what verses they're in. So you're like, what's that word mean? You can look it up. Um, and if you learn how to use the tools in the back of your concordance, you can even find out what Greek and Hebrew, and in a few cases, Aramaic word, um, is, is being translated by that English word. Uh, so those are just three uh, great tools uh, that I would recommend, technically four books, but, but there's kind of two companion volumes there. Um, it just helps you understand the Word. As you read the Word of God, you need to understand it. And as you understand it, as it is made clear to you, obedience becomes um, clearer. The way that you should obey becomes clearer. Um, the importance of having a message that we can understand was illustrated to me perfectly about uh, four and a half years ago, 
At the time, Evan, uh, who's going to be eight in a couple months, uh, was just three. And Evan has always been, um, he, he kind of d- was had a delay in his speech early on. For a long time, he didn't talk. Uh, he would just kind of point and grunt. And then once he started, it didn't stop. And most everything that Evan said was really clear, but there were a few words that just were consistently garbled. And I was sitting at the table one morning eating breakfast, and Evan came in, and, and he said, and I quote, I want Tain. The way I spelled it in my notes is T-A-I-N, Tain. And I looked at him, and I was, I was trying to figure out what he meant. I, I said, do you, you want a train? He said, no. I said, well, do you want a chain? He said, no. I said, do you want a crane? Because sometimes his T's and C's got mixed up. He said, no. I looked at him, do you need changed? He goes, no. <laughs> and he said, ugh, I'm going to talk to you no more. <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, it's my problem, right, that, that I can't understand you. Sure, yeah, it's my fault. Listen, you need to get down on your knees every day. And thank God that you live in a place and time when we have more resources available to us than any other time in our language to understand the Bible, more resources to understand the Bible in our language than any other place and time in human history. You should get down on your knees and thank God every day that you have one of these that you can read in your language. You know, part of the, one of the missions that we support, and again, while you're giving through this time, is so vital so that we can continue to honor our commitment to Pioneer Bible Translators because they're out there in the world putting the gospel, putting the Bible into people's languages so that we can read it. Do you understand how blessed we are to have, how privileged we are, and I'm not using that word lightly, we are privileged to have all the resources that we have available to us to understand the word of God. If you'll put in the work, you can understand it. This is not a mystery that this, well, I just don't know what God, no, God literally wrote down what he wants you to do. And as you encounter what he says through his revelation of himself in the word, you begin to understand it better. And as you understand it better, you can obey it better. Listen, I want to obey God to the best of my ability, but in order to do that, I need to understand what he's saying. And in order to understand what he's saying, I actually have to read it. (laughs) You've got some time, church. You're stuck at home. Do not waste it on Netflix. I believe that God is forcing us to pause right now so that we can enter into this cycle of revelation that leads to understanding, that leads to obedience, so he can give life to our souls in a time when people literally are dying. God wants to give you life through his word. The next part of this cycle is this obedience part. This is the, the text says they spend the next several days reading the law of God, making it clear, verse 14 tells us, that they realize as they're doing this that they're supposed to be celebrating a festival during this time. And it was kind of one of these kind of bing, kind of light bulb moments like, oh my goodness, we're supposed to be doing this this, uh, feast of booths or feast of tabernacles as it later became known. And and we're not doing it. See, this festival was set apart in the the law of Moses to remind people of their time in the wilderness. 
they'd go out in the countryside and they'd cut some branches and they'd come back and most of the roofs of that day and time were flat. And it was kind of a separate, it was like their version of their deck. So they'd go up on the roof and they'd build this little lean-to out of branches. And, and they would live in that for a week as a reminder of the time that the Israelite people lived in the wilderness. They lived in tents. Now kids, for those of you kids who are watching, here'd be something you could do. You could go out in your yard. It's getting to be that time of year when mom and dad are going to be doing some yard work. And they might even co-opt you into doing it because <laughs> you got nothing else to do. Um, so you could go out. You could cut some branches. And parents, maybe you could do this with your kids. You could celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles this week. You could celebrate with your kids. You could build a little lean-to, and, and you could spend some time uh, reading the, the Word in our Parent Q app that you can get um, and log into Chapel Rock's page. There's, there's a memory verse that Mike and Sherry are going to have the kids work on. You could get in your little tent there, your lean-to in the yard, and do that. This would be a great way to practice this. Revelation leads to understanding, which leads to obedience. St. Mark the ascetic, not the gospel writer, different guy, lived a couple hundred years later, is known to have said this, a humble man who lives a spiritual life when he reads the Holy Scriptures will relate all things to himself and not to others. You ever done that? <laughs> you ever done the opposite? Where you read a verse in the Bible and you think, oh, I know someone who needs to do that. And I bet God is up in heaven going, yeah, you See, God uses this cycle of revelation, which leads to understanding, which leads to obedience, to help you get to know him. As you grow in appreciation for the fact that the God of the universe has spoken to you, it makes you want to understand him better. <laughs> and once you understand him better, then what he says to do will become clearer to you, yes, but also your motivation to obey it will make more sense, too. Sometimes we obey, but we don't want to. Like, I don't want to do that. Well, then you need to get to know God a little bit better. Because when you get to know him better, when you understand him, obedience is less of a burden and more of a joy. And obeying God becomes something that he, he actually does to provide life for your spirit. And then when you obey, you come back to the word with an even greater appreciation of his revelation of himself to you, Every time you pause and enter into this cycle, it, it, it kind of restarts, your knowledge of God grows and your appreciation and your understanding of him grows and then your obedience grows and it just kind of begins this loop that God uses to give you life. But that's only one. There's another cycle that we see in this text and it's this, it's the second cycle. And, and it looks like this, it's conviction, okay? So these people are convicted of their sin. So we'll, we'll start here. So it's, it's conviction, All right, and that leads to, make a good arrow there, that leads to repentance. They're, you know, they're convicted of their sin, that leads to repentance, and then out of their repentance comes a renewed sense of reverence or worship. And then as they grow closer to God, they, they, they become, again, aware of their own sin. Do you see this cycle? This conviction leads to repentance, which leads to reverence, and as they revere and worship God more, they, they are aware of their 
sin. As Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites are instructing the people in the word of God, they begin to hear all about these commands that they have not obeyed. (laughs) They understand that their lives don't measure up to what God's law teaches. Look at verse 9. It says, they say, the teachers say to the people, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Listen, if your heart has not been convicted of your sin because of the righteousness of God revealed in Scripture, if you've not felt gratitude and joy because of the grace of God revealed in Scripture, then I would argue that you're either not reading it or you're not understanding it. Because encountering God in His Word produces both of those reactions in us. It produces a sense of conviction of of our sin. There's a part of my life that doesn't measure up. And it also produces a sense of joy and gratitude for the grace and forgiveness that we have through Jesus. When we talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus, it's the benediction that we say together, or in this case, in our living rooms, um, every Sunday. When we talk about this, I talk about bringing our brokenness to Jesus. We're talking about, you know, this idea of conviction and understanding that there's places in my life that don't look like they ought to. And I need to surrender those. I need to bring them to Jesus. I need to say, here, you take it and you deal with it because I clearly can't do this right. Biblical conviction is when the gap between the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of my own experience causes me spiritual, emotional, and maybe even physical pain. Some of you know that. Some of you have had a moment in your life when, when you were, your heart physically hurt because you'd done something wrong and you realized it. You'd hurt someone made in the image of God and you realized it. That's conviction. That, that's what the people were experiencing in this moment. The Levites have to calm them down. They got pretty worked up over it. And they realize it's not too late. They realize that they can conform their lives to to the will of God. And listen to me, if you're watching this now in the middle of a pandemic, please know it is not too late for you. In just a little while, we're going to sing a song of decision. And you can type in the chat, I need to get right with God. We'll follow up with you this week. We, we might be on lockdown, but y'all, we're, we're designated an essential business. We can still do a baptism. We can still connect, you know, on Zoom, or, or we can call you, or we'll figure it out, right? We'll, we'll, we'll make this work. These people are convicted. They see the, the gap between what the God's Word says and the way they were living, and they're like, this, it caused them pain, Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Look at this. It says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting, so they're not eating, and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Friends, that's repentance language. 
They're fasting. They're abstaining from food. They're allowing their natural hunger to drive them to prayer. That's what fasting is for. Every time you feel hungry, it's a reminder to pray. They're wearing sackcloth. Now, that's not clothes made out of burlap bags like we did here in this country in the Depression. Sackcloth was made out of goat hair. It's a garment made out of goat hair. It was intentionally rough. It was, it was like wearing um, your car hearts as your only clothes, if you can imagine that. Uh, the, the rough, harsh, coarse um, clothes that was designed to be, it's intentionally designed to make you uncomfortable, all right? And they would put dust on their heads. It's a symbol of humility. It's a symbol of uh, abasement, that they were, they were lowering themselves. They're literally saying, I'm lower than dirt. All these things are repentance images. Their conviction moved them into a time of repentance. Verse 2 says that they publicly, did you see this? Confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Verse 3 says that then they went back to hearing the word of God and following that up with worship. What that means is that after they experience, you know, conviction of their sin and they repent of it, and then they grow in their reverence for God. They go back into a time of worship. And all of this comes from a pause where they encounter God's word. They hear a message from God. He, he kind of forced them into a place where they had to listen. Maybe that's what God is doing in our culture right now, friends. He's kind of boxed us into the corner where we got to listen to him. Sociology professor Tony Campolo tells a story of a week of junior high Christian church camp. One of the campers was a boy with spastic paralysis and was the object of heartless ridicule. His health condition caused people to mock him mercilessly. Whenever he'd ask a question, the boys would deliberately answer in a, in a halting, mimicking way, kind of making fun of his condition. I don't think that would ever happen now. It certainly wouldn't be allowed if it was known, but it happened then. And one night, the boys in the cabin chose him to lead the devotions in front of the whole camp. It was one more effort to try to have some fun at his expense. So that night at campfire, he got up, all the kids sitting around, and they called on him to lead the devotion. And everyone's kind of giggling and elbowing each other. And he got up, and unashamedly, looked at each one of these fellow campers in the eyes, many of whom had made fun of him all week long, and this was his devotion. And I'm not going to imitate the way that he probably delivered it, but basically all he said was, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. And he sat down. Campolo says that there was a moment of silence and then the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell upon every one of those kids in that camp. Revival gripped that group. And Tony Campolo says many years later, long after that happens, as he travels around the country and speaks, he still meets young men and women in ministry who can trace it back to that night at junior high camp when God got a hold of their heart and convicted them of their sin. This is a pattern. This is a gift. This cycle is a gift from God. 
when we have to pause long enough to hear him, to be convicted of our sin, which leads us into repentance, which then moves us to a greater place of reverence and awe for who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Do you know that, church? Maybe you've just logged in for the first time here. Maybe you've never heard that God came and walked among us as one of us in the person of Jesus. This is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in our Bibles. And that as he did, he showed us what real love looks like. He showed us what a life totally submitted to God looks like. He was perfect. He never sinned. And he was a threat to the religious leaders and uh, and political leaders of his time, and so they killed him. And his death on the cross, in our place, taking the death that we deserve because of our sin, is what enables us to have a right relationship with God through faith. That's offered to you in the person of Jesus. Right now, this moment, and you might be sitting there forced (laughs) into a pause. God put you in time out. You're grounded. And the point of this, the purpose of this, what you need to hear this morning is that God wants you to enter into these cycles that give you life. To go into a cycle of understanding this revelation of what Jesus came here to do, which, which then leads you to a place of obedience and giving your life to him, deciding to follow him. And as you see your sin clearly revealed, it leads you to a place of conviction where, you, where you're bro- you see the gap between the perfect life of Jesus and your own brokenness, which causes you to repent and get right with God by yielding your life to him in, in confession of Jesus as Savior and Lord and repentance and being baptized and, and receiving the Spirit of God and living this life of discipleship, which causes you to live a life of reverence and worship of a holy God. heard a story about two men, both renowned woodsmen. One man challenged another to a wood chopping contest. They said whoever ended up with the most firewood at the end of the day would be declared the winner. The challenger worked hard, never stopped. Just go, 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 go. The other guy... Seemed to, whenever the challenger would look over at his competitor, he seemed to be sitting down, eating a sandwich, having a cup of coffee. He, and yet, at the end of the day, one, the second guy had more wood stacked than the first guy. And the first guy was like, I don't understand. You, 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 you clearly did more than me, and yet every time I looked over at you, you were taking a break. He said, well, well, here's what you don't understand. Every time you looked at me, I was sharpening my axe. I mean, I might have had a sandwich in one hand, but I had the whetstone in the other. See, God has given us these two cycles. Let, Let me show you both again. God has given us this cycle of revelation that leads to understanding that leads to obedience. And I, I probably should have drawn these closer because really what happens is that these things begin to kind of merge with one another. That th- They overlap. Th- that there's a sense in which they, they come together. 
And that's, I believe, church, what God is doing in our lives right now. These two cycles are converging for us. They're coming together for us so that we can understand. Listen, here's the big idea. Did you hear me today? I want you to get this. When we pause, we can enter into these two cycles that God designed to give life to our spirit. When we recognize that God's ultimate revelation of himself is in the person of Jesus. Hebrews tells us, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets of many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Some people have asked me, is this it, Case? Are these the last days with this global pandemic? Our economy falling apart? Locusts in Africa? Yes. Yes, we are in the last days. We have been for about 2,000 years now. Church, we live every day in the shadow of the last days. You need to hear this. Because it's time for us to take a pause and enter into these two cycles that God has given us to give us life. This is an opportunity, church, we have to get closer to Jesus. Don't miss this. Yeah, you're in timeout. You got grounded. Don't waste it. Use this to grow closer to God. Today is Palm Sunday. We are used to a time of joyful celebration. But today we have to pause. Don't forget, this is Holy Week. We're going to try to do some things on social media and with email to help you celebrate that this week. But don't forget that on Wednesday of this week, Jesus paused. When we read the Gospels, there's nothing that Jesus does on Wednesday. He takes a day to pause and rest. Don't waste this pause. Use this to grow closer to the Lord. Jesus died on the cross, Good Friday, that we're going to celebrate this week so that we could be made whole. And part of that redemptive process is a confession of our sin. Just like the Jews did in our text for today, I want us to end with a time of confession. So as we pray, I want you to take whatever position is appropriate. You're sitting there in your living room, maybe in a comfortable chair. Maybe this is a time to get uncomfortable. Go to your knees. Nobody's going to see it. You can take your time. Um, You might want to stand and and lift your eyes to heaven and, and raise them. Take a moment and let's pray. I want you to confess to God a sinful action that you took this week. Confess to the Lord a sinful attitude that you had. Confess a place where you gave in to fear this week. Confess a time when you knew the right thing to do and you didn't do it.
Jesus, we lay all these at your feet. You already knew about them. And yet the act of conviction and confession and repentance leads us to a place of worship, Lord. And so in just a little bit, as we sing together one more time today, I pray that you'd move in people's hearts, that they wouldn't waste this pause, that they'd use it to grow close to you, and that you would re-equip us for mission once all this is over. I pray this in your name. Amen. Maybe you have a decision that you made today. Maybe God is speaking to you in this enforced pause. If you need to give him your life in baptism to be ready to step into eternity, we'll make that happen this week. Let it, you can put that on your connection card. If you have a prayer request that you need to share, put that on your connection card. That'll go out to our prayer warriors. If you need someone to talk with, maybe, you're, maybe social distancing has led to isolation for you. Let us know. Put it on your connection card. We, we will do everything we can. We have a, a team of people right now that routinely are talking to about 200 people in our church every week, reaching out to them. How are you doing? Are you okay? Let's talk. I'm so proud of our, our team here and the way that they're adapting to this. I'm not sure what you need, but, but please don't think that in this time of an enforced pause that you should not take action. You should. You do what God's calling you to do, and we'll sing together one more time. Thanks for being here today.